with me to the book of First Timothy chapter number two. Uh, I've been teaching this series on prayer, and uh, last week we taught about intercessory prayer, and then when, when I got done, I felt like there was still some more to talk about when it comes to intercessory prayer. And so uh, I, I decided to revisit uh, that topic tonight, and then uh, when, we, when we'll finish our lesson uh, on prayer by talking about meditation in prayer. Uh, that will be that will be coming up probably two weeks from tonight. So 1 Timothy 2 and 1, if you found it, say amen. amen. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I thank you for your people, for your church. I thank you, God, for our grow classes. I thank you, Lord, for our children's youth and junior classes. And I thank you, God, for this class tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint this time we have together. Let your goodness and mercy minister. Let your word come alive in our lives and help us to be hearers, but not hearers only, but doers also in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I want this church to have a radical disciple-making culture that our purpose, that our purpose is to be disciples and make disciples. I want that to be so ingrained in our culture that it is second nature to us, that it is part of what we do naturally, that we don't have to force ourselves or think about it, but we just naturally become disciples and to make other disciples. I want apostolic Christians who know that church is not about my enjoyment, my tastes, my likes, my dislikes, but it's about being a disciple and making disciples. My family, it's about me being a disciple, about my family being disciples, and us all together making disciples new disciples. I am not a passenger on a cruise ship. I am a worker on the gospel ship. Amen. I'm going to say it again because they tell me that every new church, if you plant a new church, that no matter how strong the vision of that new church is to reach souls, that within 18 months, a new church plant becomes inward focused instead of outward focused. Because by nature, we are selfish. Every man is right. Can anybody finish that verse? In his own eyes, right? And so I want us to know we're not passengers on a cruise ship. If I got the Holy Ghost and I've been baptized in Jesus' name, my job is not to be a passenger on a cruise ship to heaven and just enjoy an extended Holy Ghost vacation. My responsibility is to be a worker on the gospel ship. So 
Notice what Paul told Timothy, first of all. He said, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. And I don't want to cover a lot of ground that I covered last week, but, but, but prayer should be first priority in our life. Amen. He said, first of all, prayer. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he said something that was, was quite interesting to me. In verse number two, in verse number two, he said, for kings and for all that are in authority. That is an interesting passage of scripture because at this time, in this part of the world, the church was very widely persecuted by the kings and the people in authority, the rulers in offices and set up by the empires. And so when Paul said, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You would think that would be enough, but then he particularly pointed out that it should be for kings and for all that are in authority. In other words, church, your responsibility is to pray for people that you see as adversarial to you. The people that you think are putting you through trial and tribulation, the people that have been against you, the people that you are struggling with, the people that are throwing you in jail, and the people that are, are coming against the church. He said, don't forget that your job is to pray for the kings and the people that are in authority. Amen. He said, you don't have the right to not pray for people just because they don't agree with you or you don't agree with them. For kings and for those in authority. Brothers and sisters, we are living in an anti-Christian world. I just read today an excerpt from a, from a, a book that, uh, that, that was called, I think the title is The Death of God. And it's writing about how our culture has become what they're calling the post-Christian era. And how that society and moder a lot of modern culture wants to get God out of the culture and get God out of the picture. And we're living in a society that is anti-Christian and anti-Christ and anti-God. And I will tell you that it would be easy for the church to learn to despise and hate those that are in authority that make it difficult for Christians and difficult for churches. But Paul told Timothy, I understand that you struggle with, with the, those that are in authority that are persecuting the church, but Paul told Timothy, you don't have the right to hate them, and you don't have the right to not pray for them. He said, first of all, prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for those in authority, for those that you think are against you for those that are making it difficult for you to live your, your mission, don't forget you've got to pray for those people too. Amen. Paul said to intercede for them. And then he said, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Can I be so bold as to say that Christians that don't pray for people that they have difficulties with aren't real Christians? I'll just let that sit there for a second. Since, uh, since I'm not running for election tonight and I'm not up for a popularity vote, let me just go ahead and put that and let that sit there for a minute. That 
we don't have the right that just because we don't agree with people to not pray for those people. Amen. It's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We cannot please God if we are not praying for people that are lost and people that are in authority and government positions, kings and those in authority. We cannot be right with God. Amen. Look, if you think that, it, that, that, that it's going to get easier for us to deal with leadership in the end time, it's not. It's going to, the Bible said it's going to wax worse and worse. And so we have to prepare ourselves to obey the Bible. The Bible said it is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Now, look at verse number four. Look at verse four. Why should we be praying for people who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Who would have all men to be saved? Timothy, the very people that are the most against you, God wants them to be saved. The people you're having the most trouble out of, God wants them to be saved. The people that we know are, are, are let me re, let me. Rethink how to say that. Oh God, give me the right words. Amen. When we have opinions on who the ones are that are standing in the way of our culture and what we need, which is revival, and when we see these people in the news and in the newspapers and magazines and hear what they're doing that are against the Bible and the church and the Word of God. The main thing we need to remember is God wants those people to be saved. As bad as they are, God doesn't want them to be lost. Amen. And so he tells them that they need to intercede for those very people. So I want to go, if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter number 18. Genesis chapter 18. And I, I want to go here because this is one of the earliest examples of true intercession that we have in the Bible. It's a famous story of Abraham. And in this passage of Scripture, in the early part of Genesis 18, uh, God and two angels show up at Abraham's tent, and uh, God tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. And, and he tells him, and the Bible says that, uh, that Abraham was as good as dead and that Sarah had left the manner of women. So what that means is that, uh, that, that Abraham is impotent and Sarah is no longer having her monthly cycles. She's not producing eggs. Okay? This adult class, I don't need to get any more plain than that. If I'd have saw Kate over there, I might not have said that. <laughs> In other words, it's physically impossible for Abraham to father a child and for the womb of Sarah to carry a child. And God waits until it is absolutely physically impossible. And then God shows up and tells them, you're going to have a son. And, and Sarah thinks it's funny. She laughs. And when she laughs, God says, why did you laugh? And she says, well, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. And so that's the scene. Two angels and God show up in Abraham's tent. 
And so from that story, the neat, immediately the next part of it, if you look at verse number 17, here's what God, he's having this conversation with these two angels. And here's what he said. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Should I tell Abraham what I'm getting ready to do or should I keep it a secret? He, I find it kind of interesting that God's having this discussion with these two angels. It's like they're collaborating on what the best strategy is. Should I tell Abraham what I'm getting ready to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God said Abraham's gonna do something awesome. All the families in the earth are gonna be blessed because of Abraham. So maybe I ought to tell Abraham what I'm getting ready to do. Maybe I shouldn't hide it from him. What he's getting ready to do is he's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. And he's getting ready to rain judgment down. And God is saying, I wonder if I should tell Abraham that I'm getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of him. And maybe I ought to tell him what's getting ready to happen. Maybe he needs to know he's going to be a great nation. The whole earth is going to be blessed. But I find this an interesting passage, not only because God is conferring with the angels, but he knows that Abraham is going to carry the hope of salvation to the whole earth. He's going to bear the seed of the Messiah down his line. Should I tell Abraham about judgment on these two wicked cities since I'm planning to trust him with the salvation of the whole earth? If I can't trust him to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe I can't trust him with the world too. So look what God says in verse number 19. For I know him. He will command his children and his household after him. I know what kind of man Abraham is. Abraham is going to do right with his kids and his household. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. He said, I know Abraham is going to do right with his family. He's going to live right. He's going to do judgment, justice. He's going, to, he's going to keep the way of the Lord. I know I can trust Abraham with his own wife and children, but I don't know if I can trust Abraham with the whole world or not. And I wonder if maybe I should tell him what I'm getting ready to do to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if he only cares about his family or does he really care about lost people. Can I really trust him with the revival I want to send through his seed? Or is he only good for his own wife and kids? You ever think about that? You see what, are, are you seeing what's in the Bible here? Are you listening at all? Do I need to, do I need to hit the symbol and wake you up? You understand? He's saying, God, I'm going to, Abraham will do good with his family, but I wonder if maybe I ought to tell him about Sodom and Gomorrah too. Look at verse number 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. He said they're, they're, the sin of the city is great. Maybe the, there's two different renderings of this passage. One is that there were still people in Sodom and Gomorrah that were praying, but the, the, the general feeling is 
that the sin was so bad in Sodom and Gomorrah, that the sin was so bad that, that it made a noise in the ears of God. If you remember Genesis 4 and 10, if you remember Genesis 4 and 10, the, the Lord told Cain, he said, he said, the blood, he said, your brother's blood is crying out from the earth. And so apparently there are sins that are so great that, it, that, that God can almost hear the sound of them. And he said, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great because their sin is grievous. The literal rendering there is that their sin is heavy. Their sin is heavy. So somebody tell me, if you, if, how, how, who knows what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? I heard some mumbling, but I didn't hear anyone say it loud enough to hear them. Homosexuality was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what they're famous for. I will tell you that it is my opinion that the abominations of Sodom and Gomorrah were a result of a lifestyle they accepted, that it was not the cause of what happened there. All right? So what way of living makes it where you get to the point where you accept an abomination. Now, remember this. I've said it before. There's things that God said in the Old Testament that he changed in the New Testament. He changed dietary laws. He changed ceremonial laws. He changed things of that nature. But one thing that he never changed was if he called it an abomination, it is always an abomination. It's against the very nature of God. And so he called homosexuality an abomination. If it was an abomination in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, it's an abomination in 2022 no matter what anybody else thinks, all right? If it was an abomination, it's always an abomination. But what gets a society to the point to where they openly accept an abomination of that style? What gets them to the point where they can think that's okay as a culture? Ezekiel 16 and 49, here's what God spoke through the prophet. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Listen to the list. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. The root problem for the city of Sodom was number one, pride. I can do this myself. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. I can handle this. I'm self-sufficient, the sin of pride. The Bible said the Lord hates a proud look. One of the seven sins that he hates the most is a prideful heart. Amen. Let me ask you this. Would it not be one of the greatest signs of pride to be prayerless? To think that I don't need God in my daily life, so I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to take time to talk to him. To think that I am self-sufficient enough that I don't need God's interaction in my life. Here's where they are. He said, this was the iniquity of Sodom, pride. Fullness of bread. What's fullness of bread? A lack of appetite, no hunger. You find somebody that doesn't pray and they're not hungry to be in the presence of God 
And then you add to that an abundance of idleness. Now, you good folks don't want me to talk about that tonight. You don't really want me to. Because, because if I was going to talk about it, I would talk about folks that don't do anything. What is idleness? No activity. And I would think, man, we need ushers, greeters, lawn care people, Sunday school teachers, choir members, home Bible study teachers. It's a shame we don't have five or six vans out there with people that volunteer to drive and pick up kids every week. Why do we not have that? Because we have too much idleness in too many people. I probably ought to get back to intercessory prayer, shouldn't I? But what I'm talking about, these are the things that were in Sodom that led them down the path to where they could accept an abomination and think it was okay to the point that God rained down fire and brimstone on them. Not only that, but they weren't concerned about the poor and needy. He said they didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They weren't concerned about the people around them. That was selfishness. Amen. Did I lose y'all at the idleness part? I hope I didn't. I hope I, somebody got convicted. Amen. So that's the sin of Sodom. We want to talk about the result of it, but really how it got there was pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, and not caring for the poor and needy. Those qualities inside of Sodom is what made it okay for them to accept the, uh, the abomination of homosexuality. You look at American culture, the more prideful America got, the more powerful we became financially and militarily, the less hungry we were for the presence of God. And the lazier people got about coming to church and working in the church and winning souls. And the more they started in ignoring people that really needed God, the further the moral value of this country went into the pit. The condition we're in today is not because we've accepted immorality and abominations. We accepted abominations and immorality because we got prideful, spiritually full, lazy, and unconcerned. I figured y'all be shouting and running the aisles on that one. Look, it's, it's a magnifying glass, isn't it? We need to be careful how we allow ourselves to approach how we interact with God because we don't know that we might not be paving the way to accept things down the road that right now we never would dream of. But if we get prideful and full of bread and idle and unconcerned, we'll start accepting things. Praise God. Amen. And so that was the sin of Sodom. That's what got them to this point. But now God says, you know what? I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. I'm done. He, he says in verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they've done all together according to the cry of it, which has come up unto me. And if not, I will know. Verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. The two angels went to Sodom. That you can find them in chapter 19 interacting with Lot. 
They go to Sodom, but the Bible said, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. In verse 21, God says, I'm going now, I'm leaving. In verse, in verse 22, the angels left, but God stayed. It's God and Abraham alone. My question is, did God stay there with Abraham merely so Abraham could have the information? Or did God stay with Abraham hoping Abraham would do something to make a difference? So here's what happened. Verse 23, and Abraham drew near and said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Are you gonna, are you gonna kill everybody because of what some did? Peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. If there's just, in that whole city, if there's just 50 righteous people, will you also destroy and spare not the place for 50? What's he doing? He's interceding. And God said, I would for 50, I would. But there's not 50. So Abraham drops it down to 45. And God says, there's not 45. Well, what about 30? Nope, there's not 30. 20? God says there's not 20. Abraham says, what about if there's just 10? If there's 10? No, there's not 10. I've always heard it preached. I've always heard it preached, and, I've, and, and to be honest, I think I've preached it myself. So I have to apologize for preaching false doctrine. I've always heard it preached that Abraham asked God for 50, 40, 5, 40, 30, 20, and then he got all the way down where God said there's not 10. Well, what about Lot? Will you save Lot? If you read the Bible, go back and read it. Abraham did not ask God about Lot. Anybody else ever hear it preached that he did? If you heard me preach, you probably did. I'm just going to go ahead and admit it. I, was, I, I looked at it. I looked at it this morning. I had to teach online on this subject this morning. I had to teach uh, an online class. And, I, and I, this morning I got up and I said, I'm going to double check and make sure. But Abraham never mentioned Lot. He says in verse 24, peradventure, if there be 50 righteous soul within the city. And then he, he gets all the way down to where he says not to where there's none and then the Bible says in Genesis 18 and 33 and the Lord went his way and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place he never mentioned Lot Abraham interceded for people he did not know not only for his family I'm going to tell you we need to intercede for our family but we got to have a bigger vision than just our family we got to be concerned with the lost world. You say, well, they're not my kin. Well, they might not be your kin, but you are required by God to intercede for them. So Abraham, God goes his way, and Abraham goes his way. And in Genesis 19, 24, the Lord rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 27 of Acts, I'm sorry, of Genesis 19. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. So fire is raining down from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham gets up and he goes back to the place where he stood with God. The place where he stood with God and said, God, if you'll save 50, if you'll save 45, what about 40, what about 30, what about 20, what about 10? 
he goes back to the place where he met with God. When he sees judgment coming on the world, he goes back to where he met with God. I'm going to tell you that it's time for the modern Pentecostal church to go back where we met with God. Old-fashioned prayer meetings and prayer rooms and altars where we get a hold of God. When we see what's happening in the world, what it ought to do is drive us to go back to where we met with God. We need to go back to a place of intercession is what we need to do. We need to go back to that place where we met with God. I'm telling you that what's happening in this world should not get us to stop. It ought to drive us back to where we met with God. We owe it to this world to pray. We owe it to this country to pray. We owe it to our state and our cities and our communities. We owe it to the world to intercede and pray. It's time for us to go back to where we met with God and talk to him about it. Amen. God is calling the church to be intercessors. Amen. Your soul is connected. I, I, need, to, I need to put this in a different gear because I got a lot of stuff I want to cover and I don't think I'm going to get to it if I don't speed up a little bit. But your soul is connected to the spirit realm more than your conscious human mind can discern. Your soul, your soul even right now is connected in the spirit realm. You may not sense it, you may not know it, but your soul knows it. You in your conscious mind, some of you know you have to get up early in the morning and go to work. Some of you had a hard day at work today. Some of you have stress things that you're dealing with and, and, and you, you're, you're trying to pay attention, but those things that you're worried about keep coming to your mind. Some of you don't feel good. Maybe your back's hurting right now or your legs are hurting or, or you're thinking about this or that. You, you, some may be cold. Some may be hot. I've never ceased to be, in, be amazed how in the same building one person's shivering and the other person's fainting. I don't know how it happens. Amen. But it happens. It just happens. That's the way it is. But whatever, your, your, your natural, your body, your conscious mind, it has all this stuff that inter is interfering, all this stuff that you're concerned about and thinking about. And all of that stuff becomes a hindrance to you hearing from God. Amen. And so your soul has this connection, but your flesh has all this noise, and it's hard for us to hear from God. But your soul wants to connect with God in the spirit. So here's what Romans said. We talked about it three weeks ago. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word infirmities does not necessarily mean sickness. It means troubles, trials, tribulations, problems, circumstances. It can be physical sickness. It can be emotional strain. It can be financial strain. But he said the Spirit helps you with all your stuff in your life. He said here's how. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. I think I know what to pray for. Paul said sometimes I pray with understanding and sometimes I pray in the Spirit. There are some things I know I need to pray for. Amen. I don't, need, I don't need an angel from heaven to come tell me to pray for the, the conflict in Ukraine. I don't need an angel to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you need to pray for Brother Stumbo. They're having a problem over there. I don't need, I don't need the, 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 the Lord to come and tap me on the shoulder and, and when, when somebody is, is bleeding and say, hey, you might want to help that bleeding person over there. 
There's times I pray with understanding, but there's a lot of things going on in the world that I don't know what to pray for. So the Spirit wants to help you pray for the things in your life that you don't really know are an issue. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Can I say this with as much, as much compassion and kindness as I can? As an apostolic Pentecostal, you ought to crave times of praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. If it's been a long time since you've prayed in the Holy Ghost, you've got things that the Holy Ghost knows you need to pray for that you'll never get through all the noise in your life. Amen. Everybody ought to say, God, help me to get to the place where I can pray in the Holy Ghost because there's things I don't know I need, but you know I need. And God, I need to be able to yield to the Holy Ghost so you can pray those things with groanings that cannot be uttered. Things, and, and he, that, here's verse 27, he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If you don't pray in the Holy Ghost, there's some things in the will of God that you won't be able to pray for because we don't know what we're supposed to pray for. Jude 1 and 20, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. How do I build myself up on my holy faith? Praying in the Holy Ghost. To be an effective intercessor takes faith that God hears you. Psalms 3 and 4, I cried unto the Lord. Is that verse? I want you to read that verse with me. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. You know what that word selah means? Brother Ethan, you ought to know what that means. That is a musical notation in Hebrew. It's a musical notation. And Brother Dwayne, that word selah means stop or pause and think about it. Stop and pause and think about what you just said. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And he heard me out of his holy hill. Now stop and think about that. I can't climb the holy hill of God. I can't put myself in the courts of heaven. I can't fly through the atmosphere and wherever heaven is, I can't go there. But I can cry with my voice here. And he hears me there. Stop. Think about that. From that perspective, there's not very many more things in the universe more powerful than the voice of somebody who prays. Because you can pray, Brother Paul, you can pray right there where you are. And according to the Bible, he hears in his holy hill. Stop and think about that. You know what? If we do less complaining and gossiping and more praying... I know you want a cuddly pastor, but sometimes I'm not cuddly. I just got to say it. And the truth is, we need to pray more. And one of the reasons, we need to stop and think about it, because when I use my voice in prayer, when I use my voice in prayer, he hears in his holy hill. When you pray, you've got to know God hears you. You ever been in a place where you felt like you couldn't, you couldn't touch God? 
God didn't hear you and I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time trying to pray. It's not doing any good. I'm just going to quit. I'm, I'm the only one probably in this room that has these kinds of prayer sessions where I pray and in about 10 seconds my mind is thinking about something else. And then, I, and then I realize I'm not thinking about what I'm praying and then I feel conviction so I stop and I start trying to pray again and then, and then 20 seconds later I'm thinking about a baseball game or I'm thinking about, man, I sure am hungry. What am I going to eat? And, 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 then I, and, then I, and I remember, oh no, I need to focus. And so I focus and, then I, and I might get a minute in this time or I might get five seconds in and then and I'm not doing any good. I ought to just quit. I ought to just quit and just give up. No, what I ought to do is understand that when I pray, God hears. Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and said, I thank you because you hear me always when I pray. So we want to talk about prayer. We want to talk about prayer. When you start to intercede, when you feel this burden of intercession, you know that there's something that you need to pray about. We ought to start with praising God. When the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, not teach us to preach, not teach us how to work miracles. God, teach me how to walk on water. Teach me, Lord, how to raise the dead. No, teach me how to pray. Because if I can pray like Jesus, then everything that Jesus did is available in the church. So, Lord, teach me to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He started out with worship. Why do we worship? Why do, should we start in, in worship instead of just starting by saying, God, give me, 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 give me. Do this, do that, God. Do this, do that. God, you're my errand boy, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And I'm, I've got this whole list of stuff that I want you to do. And when I'm done with my list of what to do, then you may be dismissed to go do it. No, because we enter into his gates with thanksgiving, Psalms 104, and into his courts with praise. When we worship him, we are taking a step into his presence, and in his presence, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And so we start our prayer time by worship. I wonder if we could just do that right now. Lord, I love you. God, I praise you. God, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Worthy is your name. God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, I glorify your name. God, I magnify you. God, I lift you up. I'm entering into your presence, oh God, with my praise. God, you've told me that if I lift you up and worship you, that I can enter into your presence and into your courts. And God, there are things that we need to talk about. There's things that I need you to do. There's things that our world needs. But God, before I do any of that, I'm going to prioritize you because I need your presence and I need your goodness. And we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We step into that realm of intercession by praising him and worshiping him. Amen. The next thing we have to do is we gotta check our lives for sin. Psalms 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Most often, it's sin that provides the static noise that keeps us from hearing God clearly. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have ever really needed something in prayer? And we're praying, but while we're praying, the devil reminds us or we remind ourselves of something we did that we shouldn't have done. An attitude we had, a, 
something we said we shouldn't have said, something we did we shouldn't have done. And so here we are trying to pray and intercede, and in our mind we have all this guilt and condemnation. And so the first thing, God, help me to know of any sin in my life, and God, I repent. I've told you this story before. When I went to Africa in 1995, I was in a church service with several thousand people, and there was, there, there was at least 100 that needed the Holy Ghost. And when we got done preaching and worshiping, they, they asked for everyone that wanted the Holy Ghost to come up. And then the bishop of the church got up, and he said, everybody, we want, we want everybody to repent. We're going to take time to repent because he knew that repentance, that, that sin is a hindrance to what God wants to do. And so he said, everybody repent. Well, I did the American style of repent. Lord, forgive me for everything I've ever said, done, or thought that was ever wrong. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm looking, and these Africans are weeping and crying and laying on the floor. And 30 seconds goes by, and a minute goes by, and five minutes goes by, and 10 and 20. And, and I can't tell you how many times I said the same thing. God, forgive me for everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said every thought I've ever had that wasn't like you. I, I probably said that a hundred times because they would not quit crying and repenting. Finally, after 30 minutes, the bishop, he tells, he said, if we don't stop them, they'll repent all night and no one will get the Holy Ghost. So he stops them after 30 minutes from repenting and he tells them to stand up and worship God. And when he did, every single person in that line got the Holy Ghost. I laid hands on a deaf mute girl that was right in the front and, and when he told everybody to stand up and worship, she didn't stand up and worship. And so I thought, well, who does she think she is? And, and so he, uh, he says, okay, brothers, go lay hands on them. And so I went to her because I thought, man, she's the rebellious one in the whole place. So me and another brother, we lay hands on her, and she throws her head back and starts talking in tongues. And I'm like, ooh, we got that rebel. And then when, at the end of service, they had her, her, her aunt that brought her to church testify. She was born to deaf mute with no eardrums. She didn't hear him when he said, stand up. In my foolishness, I think she's just a rebel. She couldn't hear him. But instantly, God healed her ears and filled her with the Holy Ghost. There's power in repentance. If you're struggling in your prayer life, spend time worshiping God and then say, God, I want you to see if there's any wicked way. Reveal anything in me. If I have an attitude issue, if I have a sin issue, then God... Reveal it. Help me to know my heart because I don't want anything standing between me and getting what God wants to do. And so God, the first, first Peter 5, 5 and 6, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. There must be, if, if, if we think we have no sin, what's the Bible say? The Bible says we're a liar and the truth is not in us. And so we spend time in repentance. Number three, surrender your thoughts. Surrender your thoughts, your agenda. God, I, I give, and I pray this, if, if you listen to me pray in the prayer room much, um, you'll hear me say, God, I submit my mind to you. I submit my heart, my spirit. Because I understand that it's not in man to have authority over him. And so I submit myself to God because I need God. If intercession is going to work, if ministry is going to work, I need God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh. Anybody finish that verse for me? 
we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not, not flesh, not human, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down, what's the next word? Where are imaginations at? In your mind, right? And every high thing that exalts itself against the? Where's knowledge? In your mind, right? The knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every? Thought. Where's thought? Where are thoughts at? To the obedience of Christ. We must learn to submit our mind to the Spirit of God. If you want to be successful in spiritual warfare, you must learn how to submit your mind to God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty to God, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Most of the strongholds you'll deal with are strongholds that are in your mind. I've told you before, my mom was having migraine headaches and she went and got a CAT scan or MRI or whatever it was. And she called me with the results, said they, they looked at my brain and couldn't find anything. Number four, we got to resist the enemy. You got to take authority. As a child of God, you have authority in the spirit. James 4, 7 and 8, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee unto you. Don't dance with the devil. Resist the devil. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. And then once you say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. The enemy wants to harass intercession with thoughts of, of, of fear and unbelief. We have to resist the devil. How many have ever thought while you were praying, this is not doing any good, I'm not strong enough, I don't have the power, I, I don't have what it takes to overcome the enemy? You've got to resist that. You've got to resist those thoughts. You've got to resist the enemy. You've got to take authority. Luke 9 and 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils. He gave the church authority against the enemy. Amen. Number five, ask God to speak to you by his spirit. Ask God to speak. The Bible says, I will hear what the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people. And then if you're going to ask God to speak, you have to be quiet and listen. Amen. I, I, if I was going to do a poll right now, I'd say, how many of us, when we pray, when we have a, our, our prayer time, if we, do we incorporate quiet time? going to talk about that in a couple of weeks but if you're going to ask God to speak then you might have to just take some time and let God speak I'm going to stop with, with uh, I think I'm going to stop there for God is looking for intercessors. God's looking for people that will pray. I, I've told this story before. 
I'll tell it again, and then and then we'll be done. I, the year was 1994. It was November of 1994. We were getting ready to go to National Youth Convention. National Youth Convention that year was in Washington, D.C. Um, and Sister V and I were engaged, and uh, and so instead of me meeting her in Washington, D.C., I went to Indiana and met up and then went to D.C. because I wanted to. Uh, there's no real logical reason other than I just wanted to. I remember it was a Sunday night I left after church, and I had this, this overwhelming feeling that I was going to die. Man, I had this this sense that I'm, I'm I, it, it was a foreboding heaviness of death that I could feel. And, uh, and so I, I, I got in the car and I was going up 349 and man, the worst thunderstorm that I remember. It started raining like crazy, lightning and thunder, leaves blowing across. It was wild. I thought, well, that's how I'm going to die. <laughs> Newsflash, I didn't die that night. I'm still here. I made it to Indiana, but I could not escape this feeling, this, this foreboding burden of death. We get in the bus, we go to, to D.C., and I feel that way. And back in those days, a bunch of us young preachers, I was, I was in my early 20s, a bunch of us young preachers, we'd, we'd get one room and like 10 of us would stay in there. And we'd alternate sleeping on the beds and sleeping on the floor. And we'd have prayer meetings uh, late into the night every night. And, and I apologize to the people in the rooms next to us and above us and below us because we kept them up. I know we did. And we, were have, we, had, we had a room that overlooked the city, and we pulled the curtains back, and we were praying that night. And, and man, I still had that feeling. I'm going to die. And so I, I mentioned it. Brother Ball, I think he was already married, but he was in our room praying with us. And, and I told him, I said, man, I've been feeling for days like I'm going to die, like, like this feeling of death. And, and uh, Brother Ball got a word of knowledge, and he said, what's your feeling? He said, you're not going to die. He said, you're feeling a spirit that somebody's fighting. And he said, we need to pray against that. So we started praying, and we were, we were seeking God, and, and I felt it lift. And, man, I got to have fun the rest of the youth convention. One of my greatest youth convention memories was that year. I almost got one of my friends beat up by an old guy. It was awesome. I went, uh, I still remind, when I talk to him, I still remind him of how this old man scared him. It was awesome. Um, but, but, uh, but the youth convention was over, and there was a conference at, at Brother Libby's church in Gaithersburg, Maryland, just one of the, the communities north of D.C., and Brother Ball stayed for that conference. And uh, that, that Friday night in the conference, there was a young lady in the, in, that came to the altar, and she was just broken, sobbing and crying and sobbing and crying. And the Lord spoke to Brother Ball and said, that's the girl that you all prayed for the other night. That's the person that was battling this. And so he, he stopped her from praying. He said, look, we were at a conference across town in the city, and we had a group of young preachers on Tuesday night. We were praying, and we were seeking God, and, uh, and, and we felt like we were fighting against the spirit of death. And, and I feel like maybe we were praying for you, and she just broke down even more. And she said, she said on, on Tuesday night, I was going to commit suicide. She said, I'm a pastor's daughter. If I named this family, those of you that have been around Pentecostalism long would know exactly who I'm talking about. She said, I've gotten pregnant. I've, I've ruined my family's name. I've ruined my life. 
And on Tuesday night, I was going to commit suicide, and I decided that I'd go ahead and come to this conference and give God one more chance tonight. And God restored her and baptized her with the Holy Ghost. And that girl lived for God. As far as I know, she's still living for God. But I'm going to tell you, it's not comfortable to go days feeling like you're going to die. When you might be feeling it for somebody that you've never met in your life, that you'll never shake hands with. But God said, Ezekiel 22 and 30, I, I said I wasn't going to do any more verses, but here's what God said. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I poured my indignation out upon them. He said, I, all I wanted was somebody that would pray. All I wanted was an intercessor. And if I could find an intercessor, I would stop judgment. I wonder what things might happen in the world over the next few weeks and days and months that if an intercessor would let God wake them up in the middle of the night to pray, that they'd roll out and pray and stop something that was going to happen. I wonder if there's somewhere out in the world today somebody that's at the very end of their hope that God may want to speak to somebody in this room tonight, in the morning, tomorrow, to pray. God said, I'm looking for an intercessor. I'm looking for someone that will make up the heads, that will build a wall and stand in the gap. God is looking for intercessors in this day. Can you close your eyes with me? If you're watching at home live or at some point listening to this media, I invite you to pray with us right now. God, I want to be the kind of church that you can trust with your burden and your heart. God, I ask that you would help us to be intercessors, to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge. God, help us, Lord, not to be so caught up in our own lives that we don't allow you to speak to us. God, I want to be an intercessor. I want to make a difference in somebody's life. I want to make a difference in the kingdom. I want to be somebody you can trust with your burden. God, I pray that you help me to be a person of prayer. Come on, are you praying right now? Because God, there might come a time when me or someone in my family desperately needs somebody somewhere to get a burden. And so God, I don't want to be, I know you wondered about Abraham. Will he only be concerned for his family? But when he interceded for the city, you knew you could trust him. God, I want Bethlehem to be the kind of church you can trust with the revival. And for that, we've got to be willing to be prayer warriors and intercessors, to stand in the gap. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. 
teach us to pray. I want you, while your eyes are closed, I want you just to lay your hand on yourself, maybe your chest, maybe your head. And I just want you to say, God, help me, Lord, to somehow hear your voice through all the noise in this world and all the noise in life. That when you speak to me, I can hear. That, God, I, I want to be led in prayer. I don't want to just say idle words, but I want to be led in prayer. Help me, Lord Jesus, to know if it's my family, if it's my children, if it's my grandchildren, if it's my parents, my brother, my sister, my neighbor, or if it's somebody that I've never met and never will meet, then, God, I want you to be able to trust me to carry your burden and to be an intercessor. Now, God, I'm asking you for my church family. God, these are great folks. These are good people. You know, God, you know they're good people. And God, I know that you have a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost for us. So, Lord, I'm asking you, God, to convict our hearts. Help us to prioritize prayer. First of all, prayer, supplications, prayer, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, even for those that are against us, for this is agreeable and right in the sight of God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Help me to be instrumental in that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Let's lift our hands to heaven and worship him for a moment. Let's praise him. God, I thank you. We're, we're gonna close with this. This is our closing. This is our closing right now. God, I worship you and I thank you. God, I praise you because you've spoken to our church and you've spoken to our lives. I thank you because your mercy is everlasting. Help me to give as much mercy as I've asked for. Help me to give as much mercy as I've gotten, Lord. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that your grace and mercy would minister to us. I love you and I thank you and I praise you and I worship you and I glorify your name for all the great things that you've done and you're doing in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.